0: Our first scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 17, verses one to nine. I invite you to follow along in your pew Bible. You'll find it on page 18. It's Matthew chapter 17, verses one to nine. Hear the word of the Lord. Six days later, And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The second scripture reading today is from the Old Testament book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 to 18. I invite you to follow along in the two Bible on page 70. Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. God. You know, The Book of Psalms is obviously the longest book in the Bible, there are 150 of them. And all you have to do also if you close your Bible and open in the middle, it's right there. Uh, It is uh, certainly uh, figuratively and literally uh, the center of worship. The Psalms were always meant to be sung. And you may notice that every single piece of music today uh, was a psalm or is a psalm uh, that uh, Gary has selected. Praise be to God. You know, for the whole 14 years that I served my congregation in Alexandria, Virginia, I had the privilege to begin a tradition that on every Sunday before Ash Wednesday, a worshipful jazz Sunday, when one of our elders, who was a professional jazz musician, uh, would bring his own quartet and lead us in inspiring and energizing worship with New Orleans style jazz music. And we always pack out the sanctuary as it was always one of the highlights of the year. And that's why I'm so glad that uh, Gary has planned a hymn festival on this day, here as well, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, when we remember Jesus' transfiguration on a high mountain. You see, what's amazing about music is the teamwork that the various musicians show as they play or sing and interact with one another in making beautiful music. And it certainly helps to illustrate for us teamwork of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity in play. What it's like to be one in three and three in one. In fact, music, jazz music in particular, is all about teamwork. Great jazz certainly requires a strange alchemy of instinct and expertise, of empathy and teamwork from its musicians. A fact few know better than famed artist and composer Wynton Marsalis, who once said jazz is a conversation, but a nuanced, swift, and complicated one. He says, jazz musicians' constant adjustments, their awareness of things changing from moment to moment make jazz unique among Western music. Together, you discover that adjusting to one another is as important a skill as soloing. Indeed, the uniqueness of jazz playing is obviously in the essential need for intense, in the moment, communication among the group and from time to time for soloists to take the lead and assume much of the responsibility for the music. And when done soloing, the player has to step back into his or her player role and support intuitively, it seems, the creative sound of the next soloist. Now while the players know where there will be solos for each of them, the exact shape and sound, even duration, are not completely planned out. So while support is essential to rounding out the sound of the soloists, it's not actually until the solo is underway that the support players figure out how to offer their support. And while our business world models are mostly planned out and completely predictable, the exciting and innovative pieces, the creative are not. I often wonder how they support each other during those moments of uncertainty. Does the music stop? Well, the obvious answer is no. And for those of you who like jazz, I'm sure you also noticed that with a jazz group, the turn-taking and distribution of musical roles makes the leader's role ambiguous, and in fact more challenging than being the upfront leader of an orchestra or choir. And we know it's often less easy to lead when our leadership encourages others to take the lead. And perhaps that is what American writer Max Dupree was referring to in his quote from this book, Jazz Leadership. He writes, a jazz band is an expression of servant leadership. The leader of a jazz band has a beautiful opportunity to draw the best out of other musicians. We have much to learn from jazz band leaders, for jazz, like leadership, combines the unpredictability of the future with the gifts of individuals. And it's true that in all jazz performance, it's hard to work alone, just like in an opera. Even the strongest let alone diver would uh, need to step back after she finishes her solo so that someone else will take the center stage for a while. Just in case you wonder why I'm going with this, interestingly, in the same way, God never, never intended any of us to be solo in the spotlight of our entire life. And so I believe it's time for us to read our Bible. It's because throughout the Bible, it seems the most successful and obedient models of leadership are often found when a dream team of God's faithful men and women undertake a mission together. For example, Abraham and Sarah worked as a team to establish a new nation and a new covenant people. Moses and Aaron worked as a team to drive Pharaoh to destruction and get the Hebrews out of Egypt. How about Moses and Joshua? They worked as a team to move a stubborn and stiff-necked people toward their promised land. Josiah and Hilkiah, they worked as a team to find security and also a future in the midst of great laws. Esther and Mordecai, they worked as the a team to see to it that the Jews were kept safe from their enemy Haman was destroyed. Well, in the New Testament, of course, we see John the Baptist and Jesus work together as a team to bring the Holy Spirit upon the Messiah's ministry. The disciples worked as a team as they went up two by two to fulfill the mission of the Seventy. Of course. There were Paul and Barnabas worked together as a team. Paul and Silas worked together as a team. Paul and Timothy worked together as a team so that the message of salvation continued to be spread even while Paul sat in prison sometimes. Now, today's Old Testament text focuses on an important transition in the lives of the people. The beginnings of tabernacle worship. That a change in spiritual leadership was waiting in the wings, is foreshadowed by Joshua's subtle presence in this text here. Although still basically an unknown at this time in the Exodus story, the young Joshua is introduced as Moses' assistant here in verse 13. God's Kabbad, that is, God's glory, God's honor, majesty, his importance was no longer going to remain accessible only to Moses. Now the Spirit's presence was moving on to a different kind of team model. Even when Joshua finally inherited Moses' leadership position, he was not expected also to be the sole spiritual spokesman to the Israelites. By this time, God's Kabad had established itself in residence in the tabernacle, and ever since the transition, there have been continual changes in the way God's presence has been manifested with new power in the midst of the world. For example, in the last 3,300 years, we see the transition from Moses to the tabernacle team, from the moving tabernacle to the tag team of the judges from the sporadic play of the judges to the constant reign of king david from david's camps to the central temple from the team rituals of the temple to the incarnation of jesus from jesus leadership to the ragtag team of the disciples from the disciples continued team efforts to the pentecost body of christ the church and from the church as a Christ body to the hierarchy of a formal church organization and from an institutionalized church to a team spirit reformation and from a reformed church to a revitalized clergy. And then of course from less formalized clergy teams to an empowered laity and every member ministry. The priesthood of all believers is now a reality. And as we look at these various incarnations in the history of the Christian church, it appears there is an ebb and flow in the Spirit's presence in these various forms. It seems the power of a Spirit-led leader is transferred to the creativity of a Spirit-led team. The earliest priesthood of Jesus' own disciples, the Spirit-infused team, of the reformers, the spirit-empowered late movement, all represent teams of faithful, creative, spirit-inspired incarnations of God's kabod. Again, that's God's glory, God's honor, majesty, and importance. Have you ever wondered how McDonald's get minimum wage employees to work full-time when there's a vast shortage of labor for minimum wage jobs? They invite people to join the McDonald's team. I remember a while back, Karen and I had dinner at a restaurant, and I noticed a sign above the back employee area that says, team members only. And in the same way, if you work at Disney, you're not an employee, but a cast member. I believe the reason why TV shows such as Chicago Fire and all the police shows are so popular these days is because emergencies, crisis management, require not regular, popular solo players, but team play. It's not about individuals, but about team play. And we are galvanized by the way in which a motivated team can indeed take on a challenge. It's not white knights, it's not about lone wolves, or high flying egos that solve crises. It's teamwork. The definition of team is definitely not What I saw on a t-shirt the other day that says, team effort is a lot of people doing what I say. It's not that at all. I truly believe a large part of being the best is working with the best. A large part of being the best is positioning people to be just as good, if not better than you, and without the need to take credit. Notice in the Transfiguration account in the Matthew reading today, Jesus did not appear by himself on the mountain to soak up all the glory, but with Moses and Elijah on either side, representing the law and the prophets. Notice also that Peter immediately said to Jesus, If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I'm sure Peter's intention was good and pure, but he showed a tendency all too common in human nature, and that is to try to institutionalize a religious experience. Let's somehow try to capture this experience architecturally, we say. Let's formalize it, let's theorize it, theologize it, organize it, appoint a committee, as we good Presbyterians do very well, Write, write a mission statement, drop some bylaws, elect officers, and launch a program. We do that very well. If you wish, said Peter to Jesus. While well, Jesus did not so wish, instead he sent them out to spread the good news two by two. You see, this probably established the witness principle which is one of the least acknowledged principles of the scriptures. Basically the witness principle says that you cannot do it alone. As the previously cited examples show, God requires two witnesses to establish truth. Jesus was the first witness. The church, Christ's body on earth through time, is the second witness. Jesus said in Matthew 23 that in the last days, he would send prophets, wise men, and scribes who claim his coming kingdom. Or consider how God reveals who he is through the witness principle of imminence and transcendence. For example, well, why do we need two creation accounts in the book of Genesis? Well, in Genesis one, God is the transcendent God who speaks all things into being. And then in Genesis 2, God is the imminent God who sculpts us out of the earth itself. Yes, we are created in the image of a God who has two sides, male and female. You see, the need for teamwork is especially true when it comes to ministry. All we have to do is to look at the history of revitalism in our country. Just when one begins to think uh, these evangelists or uh, or revivalists were were lone superstars, upon close examination, it appears that they actually work closely in teams, especially with musicians. How about Charles Finney and Elizabeth Atkinson Finney? Of course, Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey. Sam P. Jones and Sam W. Small, the Moody and Sankey of the South, Billy Sunday and Homer Roadheaver. Of course, many of us remember Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows or George Beverly Shea. It seems each evangelist lifts out the apostle's phrase in one way or another that we may be strengthened in the faith. I by yours, and you by mind. And so as we witness today here how our musicians come together so well in their teamwork to produce beautiful music to glorify God and to edify the church, maybe it is time for all of us at APC to consider having moving teams instead of standing committees. Since the Spirit of God is always on the move. As a wild, wild, wired world now brings down bureaucracy and, and hierarchy all around the world, it seems only ministry teams can keep up with today's microprocessor pace. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the question is, are you willing to be a team player? Are you willing to put your God-given gifts to work and flourish in your desire to worship God? Grow in your spiritual life and serve your God and his church. My prayer and hope for APC is that all of you, each and every one of you, would want to be team player in the kingdom. Amen.